Oh, what a joy. What an absolute joy. Harry, what's up, man? Uh, what an absolute joy to be here. Um, I will never, within my power, ever decline an invitation to come here. Yeah, love you all. It is such a joy to be with you all. Thank you for allowing me to serve you this evening. Uh, there's much more I could say, but my sermon is already past the time when the kids will come in. So let me pray for a miracle. Oh, dear Lord, dear Lord, I love these people. And you love these people more. And because you love them, you're perfect in your love towards them. Oh, Lord, would you bless us tonight? You blessed us enough. But would you bless us some more? Would you sanctify us in the truth? Your word, oh Lord, is truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm uh, going to be speaking this evening about something this congregation needs to hear no sermons about, and that is how to listen to God's word. You obviously have come in 100 degree weather to hear a sermon. I don't know that we need to do this. But since I believe the Bible is of benefit to us all, I trust we have benefit to gain. Uh, please open your copy of the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to be thinking about how to listen to sermons. Specifically, something that we as Christians regularly do, and I want us to consider doing this most important work in the most God-glorifying way. Go ahead and say amen when you get there. Nehemiah 8. Amen. Okay, I'm waiting for the rest of y'all. It's okay. It's in, it's in that place you don't normally go, right? <laughs> first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Shailene has a great song if you want to learn the books of the Bible. One of the best things for us all is that God is a God who speaks. It's actually one of the first things we learn about God in the Bible. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said... We learned that in the beginning was God, and then we learned that the true God speaks. He speaks and he creates. He speaks and he reveals. He is a God who speaks for himself. In fact, this is a way that God is distinguished from the made-up gods or the man-made idols. Listen to how the psalmist in calling on the people of God to praise God to worship the Lord, listen to how he contrasts the true and living God with man-made imitations. Psalm 135, 13 through 18, your name, O Lord, and that O Lord you can't hear when I say, but if you were to read it, you would see it's an L-O-R-D, all capitals, which lets us know that behind that Lord is the name of God, the personal name of God, Yahweh, which we know his name because he told us his name. We know he's Yahweh, the Lord, because he said so. He is who he is. 
He said so. Psalm 135, your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people, have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Even in listening to a God who doesn't speak, you become like him. How much more listening to the God who does. The psalmist presents the impotence and silence of idols. But this is not true of the living God. He speaks and by his very word, he renews. That's what we see in Psalm 19, right? His word, the law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. It rejoices the heart. God's word is powerful. It accomplishes everything God says that it will, which is why for any renewal to ever occur that God regards, be it personal or be it corporate, that renewal must always be connected to and stemming from his word. True revival sprouts forth from the sowing of his word. And that's what we see in Nehemiah, and specifically chapter 8, 1 through 8. A little bit of background, God's people have been in captivity for 70 years because of their rebellion against God and their disrespect for his word. God in his grace was going to gather his people back. He would bring renewal to their land and to their hearts once more, and he did. He moved kings who were their captors to free them and then fund them to return and rebuild Jerusalem. Hashtag, won't he do it? Their temple would be rebuilt, and in Nehemiah, we see that their walls would be repaired, but at the center of their renewal was not any resource that any of the kings of the earth could grant them because true renewal only comes by the words of the king of heaven. Central to real renewal is the word of God. So let's listen to it now. Nehemiah 1 through 8, and just as a heads up, I guarantee I will mispronounce most of these names. Hear the word of the Lord. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, 
and Shema and Aniah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Maaseiah on his right hand and Padiah and Mishael and Malkijah and Hashem and Hashbadana, Zechariah and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kalita, or Kalita, I don't know, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, Peliah, the Levites, that squad, right, <laughs> helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Saints, this is God's word, and we thanks be to God. Amen. I didn't know if y'all do that all the time. We do, and if you don't, praise the Lord, you can do it now. I have two points for you this evening. Point number one, we gather to hear. Point number two, we hear to worship. Point number one, we gather to hear. Point number two, we hear to worship. Point number one, we gathered here. We see that all the people gathered as one man, telling Ezra to bring the book with the Lord's commandments. Uh, there are things that we do in addition to preaching whenever we gather. We pray. We sing praise. But central to gathering in the Lord is gathering to listen to him. And all the people gathered telling Ezra, preach the word. I love that it doesn't say that God actually told them to do this. We're assuming God told them to do this, but it's what the people wanted him to do. Bring the book. First, let's look at who was present to teach. We're introduced to Ezra here. We're told he's a scribe and a priest. In other places, we learn he was skilled with the word of God. We know that the hand of the Lord was upon him that he set his heart to study God's word, to keep God's word, to teach God's word, and here he is doing it. We're told in verse 4 that he stood on a wooden platform, maybe something like this. He had a pulpit that they built for the purpose. There was a stage that they apparently constructed for this purpose so that people could hear the word more clearly. With him stood 13 other men overseeing the people, standing in solidarity with the preaching and in the presence of all being associated with the word being taught. Just to pause and let me say, be slow to diss stuff before you do your research. This is a personal lesson that I had to learn. I, I remember I, I come from a church tradition where there's many flaws and sometimes I misunderstood things to be flaws that were not flaws at all. Like me, you may have noticed that in some churches there are chairs 
on the stage. There's seats around the pulpit. Sometimes they look at thrones, and I think that's suspect. But oftentimes there was just chairs on stage, and I always just assumed, based on what I saw, that it was because people had an ego problem. And look, sometimes, again, I think that was the case. I remember I was at one church service once. There was 18 people in the building. 16 of them were on stage. (laughs) The crazier thing was the other two of us in the pews were both visitors. (laughs) But I had a pastor explain to me once. He said, no, no. Those chairs were up there originally for the elders to sit in. And it was to remind the congregation and to demonstrate to them, even visually, that they had overseers who were watching over their souls. I don't know if that's all that's happening here. We're not told why these 13 men are standing up there with Ezra and hearing the preaching of the word, standing with the preaching of the word, but I trust it was to communicate to that assembly. There's men who watch over them. It seems to be consistent with what we see presented as the best way for a community to thrive under the word, not just by one man's preaching ministry, but by a team of men who together labor to feed the flock and watch over her. Even though there may be one main mouthpiece, there was a team of men who stood behind the teaching. We see this in Acts, right? Paul and Barnabas, they were confused because Paul spoke so much, but they were co-laborers and partners in the ministry of the word. Even though one spoke more, they were together ministering the word. And I think we see that here. The Lord had raised up a team of men to support the ministry of the word in their midst. And this support wasn't restricted just to the stage either. If you look down at verse 7, we see that another group was dispersed throughout the assembly, helping the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Uh, We're told in the previous chapter of this book that this assembly would have been about 50,000 people. So as the word is being proclaimed without any microphones, you can imagine how hard it must have been for the word to clearly make its way to everyone present. But stashed all throughout the congregation were more teachers making sure to relay to everyone present what was being taught so that everyone understood it well. At the heart of the men through the assembly, at the heart of Ezra as the preacher, was an understanding that the word makes its way to everyone clearly and in a way when everyone can understand. And what a task for preachers, and this is the task of elders. We seek to make sure everyone hears the word and understands the word so that they can keep the word. It makes you think of 2 Timothy 2, doesn't it? And Paul is encouraging Timothy as he's establishing churches. He encourages them, make sure you raise up a team of men with you. Make sure there's a squad to serve in the word with you. You then, my child, he tells Timothy, be strengthened with the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
Oh, the teaching of the people of God, even if there's one who speaks unequally more than others, is best stewarded by a team of godly men who can teach the assembly further. I think that's one thing we see here. In Nehemiah, when these 13 men are standing up with Ezra and the other group stashed among the assembly, as the word is being communicated, they're being associated with the word in the presence of all. That's being entrusted with the teaching in the presence of all so that they might be identified as those who can explain it further, perhaps after the gathering disperses. And we see this continued in the New Testament where churches appoint pastoral teams, groups of laborers in the word, even if a subset of them labor in preaching and teaching. It's a task they all do together. Oh, churches, because there's several here, pray. Pray that your pulpit has a team of men standing on it, associated with the word, watching over the flock, that the Lord raise up those who can teach the word and make it plain. But along with the teachers, we see who else is gathered to hear. Look at verse 1. Everybody, all the people. If you think this is a packed gathering, oh, 50,000 of them. Verse number 2, it says the law was brought before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. Verse 3, he read from the law in the presence of the men and women and those who can understand. It's the way of saying everyone who had the capacity to listen and hear and understand was present as you would expect when God was talking. Who stays home when God is talking? God's going to address us? Oh, we gonna be there. You signed the Davis Five up. Oh, imagine who would show up if they knew God was talking. Would not churches everywhere be overflowing every Sunday? Imagine who you'd bring if you knew God was talking. You'd be eager to bring your neighbor, You'd be eager to bring your spouse. You'd be eager to bring your kids because God is talking. Men, women, children, Israelites, sojourners, Jews, Gentiles, everyone is invited to hear the word of the Lord and to call on him in faith. And what a sweet thing it is that God's word, though given as a stewardship to Israel, was not restricted just for them. It was to be proclaimed from them, but it was for anybody who could hear. Anyone who has ears to hear could hear. They were supposed to share it. Oh, didn't Jesus tell us this is what the kingdom of God is like? It's like a man who's throwing a banquet who wants it full, and he's willing to invite everybody to it. Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Go out to the highways and hedges. Compel people to come in. The food's good. And there's a lot of it. Oh, when God's word is proclaimed, everyone is invited. And here we see that everyone came. Oh, what a grace this was on this community that they had since 
to know that when the book was open, God was talking and it was their benefit to be present. Oh, this is what our churches are to reflect week in and week out. All the people gathered. Friends, you should see everybody on the Lord's day who's able. And, and, and we, we knew that when, when God was showing up, people did all kinds of crazy things to be there. I fear that our abundance of access to hear God's word has actually lessened our esteem of hearing God's word. Gabs was like, I can't walk. Yo, roll on this blanket. We're going to carry you there. Now people are like, I think I might get a headache later. <laughs> oh, beloved, everyone in the vicinity was gathered not to hear Ezra, but to hear God. And that was the core of the teaching. Ezra taught the book of God. They were there to hear the book of God. The Bible tells us that he was there standing above the people on a platform, not because he was more special than them. It was a demonstration. Even as the preaching was occurring, it was a demonstration, not for Ezra to be above the people, but that God was above the people. God was addressing them through Ezra. So the people were under, not Ezra, but they were under the word of God. Our concept of pulpit stems from here. You might have seen them old school joints. They had like curling stairways and there's this little box and the dude got to crawl up for five minutes to get up there. And when you're looking, you're like, I think I see you. But it was to show how highly above the audience the, the God who's speaking was. That we have to sit under what he says to us. Uh, we're told that they were at the water gate, which we know from chapter 12 was on the east side. And many believe that this square was located between the entrance to the temple and the eastern gate on the wall. So just imagine this scene. They met in an open space that was big enough for all the people to gather at. Again, 50,000. News had traveled that on the first day of the seventh month, God's going to talk to us. We building a stage for it. We're going to have a platform to promote it. You can hear people at the market. Like, yo, y'all know, what are y'all doing on the first? So I'm going to go hear the word. First day of the month, be there, I'm going to be there. How long is it going to be? Don't even worry about it. <laughs> and we're told the full number of the assembly gathered as one man, postured as a listening man to hear from their one true God about what he needs to say to them. McLaurin's commentary says this. He says, there in the morning light with the new walls for a background stood Ezra on his platform and amid reverent silence, he lifted high the sacred roll. That was the core of the renewal for this people, the word. They would have been wrong to misplace the efficacy of the renewal as being in the rebuilding of the temple or the rebuilding of the walls. It's actually in the rebuilding of the people. In verse 8, the law of God clearly explained, rightly understood, actually believed in. That's true renewal. That's true strength. That's true restoration. That's true life. That's what we're going for. You don't need a dope building. 
You don't need to be in dope city. You don't need to have a dope preacher. You need God's word faithfully preached. And if you got that, you got it all. Oh, friends, how encouraging is it to know that God doesn't just speak, but he speaks so that he's understood. He's spoken so that we'll listen and so that we'll know him. And the, the reason we don't listen, the reason we don't understand is not because what he says is complicated. He actually goes through great lengths to make sure it's not complicated. He puts people there to explain it to you. There's pastors who are paid to stand there, answer people's questions about the Bible so that they can understand what God is saying. It's, it's, it, God's word is not rejected because it's complicated. It's because it's humbling. God's word is not received because it's confusing. It's because it's convicting. He goes, again, through great lengths to make it plain, to make it simple, to make it clear. Stash people everywhere throughout an assembly. He stashes people everywhere throughout the world. Tell them about me. Tell them what I said so that people can understand and know me. Oh, like that assembly in Jerusalem, we all have need tonight, whether you sense it or not, to be renewed by the word, we have a pressing and a perpetual need to be renewed by the word. And what's encouraging is that the same God who spoke through his word for their renewal continues to speak through his word for ours. Praise God. Oh, for those among us who are not Christians, God teaches that what you actually need most is to be renewed. You need what scripture calls, not a vacation from work. We're not talking about that kind of renewal. We're not talking about a long nap after a hard day of labor. We're not talking about that renewal. We're talking about a washing and regenerating, a renewal of the Holy Spirit. You need to be born again. You need to be completely remade. And to make plain how that occurs, because that can be confusing to hear, we actually have a conversation documented in the Bible that says as much. He tells us plainly what it means. He says, no, no, no. How people get born again is through my word. They become an offspring of my word. First Peter 1 says this. Talking of believers, it says we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh like grass and in all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So... What's encouraging is if someone hears the good news about Jesus Christ proclaimed to them, then an unbeliever can be born again. They can be renewed by hearing about Jesus. The, the gospel comes to an unbeliever and can make them completely alive. It can make you completely new. The good news is that though you do not love God as we should, as we've been created to, even though we do not love God, even so, he perfectly loves you. And he loves you beyond your deserving. 
He's loved you enough to pay for your sins himself. He sent his son to die for the way that you disregard him and disobey his word. Though everyone who despises God's word deserves to die, and they will die for that. Again, we're watching a community freshly on the hills of the chastising whip of God for disobeying his word. If that's how his people are treated, how much more those who do not know him, who do not love him. Listen, everyone who despises his word will die for that. That's how the Bible begins. Do not do or you die. And anyone who disregards what he says dies. But God in great mercy, God in great compassion, God in great love, instead of kill you, sent his son to die for you. That's the big deal about the cross. That's the place of the great exchange where Jesus took our sin and he suffered the full consequences of our sin, including the death we deserve, including the wrath of God that is awaiting us. But he didn't stay dead. His death defeated death. His grave bore witness and open testimony that this is the son of God, that he gives deliverance from sin, and he can give victory even over death. Amen. And listening to that word, hearing that word, believing that word gives life. That word preached renews and changes. And we know that because that's who's in this room now. People who heard his word and got born again, people who heard his word and got renewed, people who keep hearing his word and keep being renewed. Paul said in Colossians 3.10 that it's not just unbelievers who need to be renewed by God's word, the people of God need to be renewed by God's word, right? He says, we now with our new selves, having been already born again, we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. Renewed in knowledge, renewed in the will of God. Where do we find the knowledge of God? Where do we find the will of God? We find it in the word of God. This is the only restaurant that serves those dishes. And by coming to his word, we get to be renewed. The Bible is a renewing book because it's breathed out by God whose breath gives life. We must grow in understanding the word of the Lord, which means it's good for us to gather and to sit under it. And we need to remember that every time that book gets open, every time our God speaks, it's an opportunity for us to be renewed. And y'all are here on a Wednesday night with 100 degrees, so I know y'all ready to get renewed. Continue in it. We gather to hear. Point two is uh, the end of hearing is to worship. We gather to hear and we hear to worship. Look, they were there to receive from God. We see this in their humility, not just in the fact that they gathered, but we see this in the fruit from their gathering. Let's just glance over the fence of the text for a second. 
I want to briefly look beyond verse 8. I want you to look at verse 9. I want you to look at verse 9 through 12. I want you to notice what happens when the word goes forth to hearts that are eager to hear from God. What happens when the word goes forth? What happens when the word is preached? What happens when it's plainly explained? It's the same stuff that happens among us when we hear the word. Conviction of sin and encouragement in his goodness. Look look at verse 9. After the reading of the word, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not, do not mourn or weep. Now, why would they say don't mourn or weep? What was happening when people heard God's word? He says, do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And how else would you respond if you you hadn't heard his voice? If you hadn't heard his voice and you knew you were not rightly aligned with his will, how else would you respond when you hear about how holy he is and how sinful you are? How else do you respond when you hear about how good he is and how bad you are? How else do we respond when we hear about how righteous are his ways and how crooked are ours? How else do you respond when you hear about the straightness of his character and the corruption of ours? What do you do but weep? They were weeping in humility. What else would happen when God's law is going forward? It brings to mind James 4. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. He doesn't say go out to the woods, look at some trees, search your feelings, turn on the radio. What does it mean to draw near to God? He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double mind. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And this is what we're seeing play out. The word is crashing over them like the heavy wave of glory that it is. They weren't being emotional. They weren't being dramatic. They were drawing near to God in repentance and faith. That's how we're supposed to come when the word's being preached. We're drawing near to God with repentance and faith. We say, speak, O Lord. And we should not be always skipping out of service. We should not be always sitting on the word like, man, this is probably cutting someone up. No, no, no. It cuts me. It addresses me. It convicts me. And in doing so, it renews me. This is humility, and God gives grace to the humble. Look at what they do to the people as they're weeping. It's a beautiful picture. 
Ezra goes to those who mourn and weep, verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's not speaking as your enemy. That's not why he's talking to you. He's not your enemy, he's your friend. And if he's wounding, they're faithful wounds from a friend. Be encouraged. The discipline reminds you you're his son. If it's breaking you down, it's only to build you up. To give you comfort in Christ, to introduce you more fully and deeply and thoroughly to the joy of the Lord. And it says, and so the Levites calmed the people. Oh, and this is pastor's work oftentimes. It's the humble ones who hear the word, get crushed by the word, and appropriately so. And they start questioning, I don't even know if I'm saved. And you're like, listen, if you're not saved, I'm nowhere near it. Do not confuse the weight of God's word on your conscience with the abandonment of God. That's the blessed hand of God on you. Be encouraged when you hear the word. It's renewing stuff. If you're a vine getting pruned, it's to bear more fruit. And you tell him, eat the fat, drink the wine. Not literally. I think we can see a connection in the Lord's Supper. Oh, you say, no, 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 come be reminded with us. Clink cups with us. That's the body broken for you. The blood of the new covenant shed for you. And as they did, as they received the word, as they were humbled by the word, if they received the encouragement, they, they had joy. That's how the text ends, right? Nehemiah 8.12. They went on their way rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. Oh, what joy is ours when we finally understand the book. When God speaks a word to us and even when it cuts us, we, we know he's making us to be like him. This is a picture of receiving the word with meekness, the word that's able to save your souls. And we see at least three things in our text I just want to highlight about their humble posture in hearing the word. First, we see that they wanted it. They wanted the word. They gathered because they wanted the word. They told Ezra, the scribe, bring the book. We want the book. We don't want politics. We don't know that cultural. Not. We want the book. Tell us what God said. Oh, turn to your neighbor, say, bring the book. <laughs> they weren't there to be entertained. They were there to be edified. They weren't there to hear from a man. They were there to hear from God. They wanted the testimony of God made plain. And we see this because they were there all day. From early morning to noonday. My sermon ain't that long. But don't we see this when people want to hear from God? It's not because of the gift of the speaker. It's the gift of what's being spoken. What made a guy about to fall asleep sit in a window just to hear Paul? People always act like, oh, Paul, he was going too long. I was like, nah, the dude in the window was like, I just, I just need to hear a little bit more from the Lord. 
Our goal when we gather is not to get out, it's to get more of God. So that means our goal should not be the longest service we can possibly do, but at the same time, we should not be embarrassed for lingering, soaking. It's a gift to a preacher when he, tell, he can tell the people are there to hear from God. And they don't care how long it takes them to speak. Got less amens on that than I was hoping for. <laughs> Look, we're, this, is what, this is what the new birth produces. We're exhorted to be like this. First Peter, he goes on to say, after we've been born again, like newborn infants, long, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Oh, you know when God speaks to you, you're like, oh, that is good. Give me more, Lord. Give me more, Lord. Let us long to hear God's word. Let us long to hear the gospel again. Let us long to look and behold the glory of God with unveiled faces so that we can be conformed to his image. The second thing we see about how they received the word is they listened carefully to the word. Verse 3 says that he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning to midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book. They were attentive. They knew it was a message from God and they listened like it. It's possible to sit in earshot of a sermon and use that time completely wrong. We can be criticizing the sermon. We can be ignoring the sermon. when We should be attentively listening to God. Whoever God has put here, whatever Ezra the Lord has ordained for this moment, what is God saying to me right now? Even at its opening, the text says in verse 5, the book opened and everybody got up. What a sight that must have been. We're, we're going into holy things and the people stood up while the word was being read forth, which suggests they stood the whole time. Each ache in them ankles each buckle in the knees was a reminder he is worth it for me. Oh, more could be said, but third thing we see about how they responded and postured in the word is they worshiped. I think this is potently demonstrated in verse six. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. Side note, Biblical, feel free to say it during messages. The people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. They bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Where is this among us? Let it be somewhere. Let us cultivate a regularity or a normalcy to Responding to the word this way. How is it that when the seraphim see God's glory in Jesus Christ, they hide themselves 
The Israelites, when they heard the word of the law, bowed their faces to the ground, and we often got hands in the pockets chilling. Have we forgotten the weight of the moment? Like the early church, devoted to the apostles' teaching, all was upon them all, worship bursting from all their hearts. And the sound of the amen was ringing throughout the congregation. Amen means truly, or yes it is, or as we would say, word up. (laughs) They were saying as God's word is going forth, truth, truth. What a picture. Doesn't matter where the man of God is reading from, we should be saying truth. Truth. This is why there is that habit in churches when the Bible's read, they say, and this is God's word. And the saints say, thank God for speaking. Truth. Truth. Whether it's a passage on the severity of adultery, whether it's a passage on the rightness of his wrath, whether it's a passage on the sweet pasture the shepherd brings his sheep through, when he says it, we say, truth, truth. And we get to cultivate hearts that do that by using mouths that say that. Saints, when you're hearing the word, agree. Amen. Amen. Even if this point was a little sloppily stated, if it's consistent, if it's faithful, truth, truth. Amen. We're going to get there. And what an appropriate thing to hear ringing throughout a congregation as the word is being preached to them. Amen. 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 The seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of this glory. And the church says, amen, amen, amen. Until he comes back. You know how the Bible ends? Guess what the last word of scripture is? John got done communicating the revelation from Jesus Christ. Amen. And talk about some tough stuff. Okay. It's possible to speak the word of God, to hear the word of God non-worshipfully. This is not you guys. You guys resemble them. And I just want to encourage you. Do not forsake your first love. Continue with these works. Let the amen keep sounding from the people again. Yeah, this, this was not a non-worshipful worship gathering, which is just a sad statement that they exist. No, this was a worshipful worship gathering. Look at the preacher, Ezra's blessing the Lord, the great God. As he proclaimed God's truth, as he sought to apply God's truth, he did so blessing God. As the congregation, they're right there with him, right? All the people answering, amen, amen. Hands was being raised. Faces were being bowed. Worship was occurring. This wasn't a cute little nod of approval like, nice sermon. No, no, they weren't trying to be cool and collected. They were trying to worship God. It was full-hearted, 
full-bodied, expressed worship. One of my new favorite commentators is John Gill, super like he's with the Lord now. He says of their bowing that they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, expressing hereby the awful sense they had of the divine being and their profound adoration of him. Oh, friends, we see the tremendous glory of having God's word proclaimed to us. Look at the eager agreement. Look at the on reverence. Look at the worship and response. And this was in Jerusalem. This was the preaching of the law only. Oh, beloved, how much more should we be gathering with eager attentiveness, full-hearted agreement, full-bodied reverential awe, we who have the full book of God proclaimed, we who have the gospel proclaimed to us. We have a far better preacher than Ezra, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Scripture says that long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. If you thought Ezra was nice with the word, look at the Lord Jesus. Yeah, Ezra knew the word. Jesus was the word made flesh. Ezra studied the law. Jesus fulfilled it. Oh, beloved, we, not only do we have a better preacher, we got a better gathering place. By that, I do not mean to compare the Watergate in Jerusalem with North Shore building. I mean, they gathered in the shadow. We gather in the substance. They were trying to rebuild a city for God, but Hebrews 12 tells us we're there now. We're there now. Uh, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, he was coaching his team in that motivational speech before the game. He said, look, we ain't coming. We here. Look, in Hebrews, Hebrews said, listen, we're there. We're in, we stand in substance. We listen in the substance. We feed on the substance. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And when we hear the word preached, when a man stands on that platform and he proclaims Christ and him crucified like those disciples on Emmaus, we get the scriptures, the very book of God truly opened to us. We get to hear about Jesus. You know who nobody at the water gate heard explicitly about? They didn't get to hear the substance. They didn't get to hear the salvation. They didn't get to hear the person of Christ. Oh, the one who has the law, the prophets and the Psalms and the one in whom they all concern, we got him. The mediator of the new covenant. As we hear of him, that he loved us and that he gave himself for us, who suffered in our place, who shed his blood for our sin. As we hear the book of the law demand death. We hear through the gospel of God, a rescuer from death has been provided. God's own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now when we hear the word, when we listen to God's word preach, when we hear what God says to us, we listen with full confidence 
that there is no judgment. We don't need a follow-up visitor. It's in the message that there is no judgment because we're calmed by the cross of Christ. When we hear the word, we're left rejoicing every time. Even when we're wounded by his word, we're left rejoicing that his blood has been sprinkled and that his sprinkled blood preaches through the preached word and it preaches a better word than the blood of Abel. Forgive them, oh, forgive, they hear. Come to me, Jesus says, that you might live, we hear. Now in Christ, we sense the divine weight, the awful weight of the divine presence and the glorious salvation of the word of God. So don't let this gathering outdo your gathering. We have the same God. We have the same Bible but we have more of it, which means we have more to rejoice in, more to rest in, and more to amen then. We get to hear in the preaching Jesus. We get to hear in the preaching Jesus say, come and be reconciled. And the church says, amen, amen. We get to hear in the preaching Jesus say, come and be restored to me. And the church says, amen. Amen. We get to hear in the preaching of the word Jesus saying, come and learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I will give every one of you rest for your souls. And the church says, amen. Amen. And Jesus says, I'm coming back. Remember my word. Keep my word. Don't add to it. Don't take from it. Love it. Look it. Live it. And I'll be back soon. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Oh, dear Lord, we cannot preach in a way that your word is worthy of. And you call us to do our best. So, Lord, we pray that you would take this time And do what only you can do. Multiply the loaves. Multiply the fish. Multiply the joy. And multiply the glory for yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.